Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Colossians chapter 3 with me. We'll be looking at uh, verse, verse 14 uh, this morning. Uh, and as you're, you're turning there, there was a, a Marriott commercial uh, that has come out recently that has caught my uh, attention. Uh, the, the commercial uh, is, is one that uh, espouses the, the golden rule. Uh, and uh, in the commercial, there's uh, scenes of, of Marriott employees and other people in the community uh, doing acts of kindness and acts of love toward others. Uh, and during the commercial, uh, there is a, a narrator who voices over these scenes with the following words. It says, it would be great if human beings were great at being human. Uh, if all of mankind were made up of kind men. It would be wonderful if common knowledge was knowledge commonly known, and if the light from being enlightened into every heart was shown. It would be fantastic if the war to end all wars was the last war that we fought. It would be amazing if we learned the lessons from every lesson we were taught. It would be cool if our freedom to us was freely granted, and if every seed of kindness would grow wherever planted. It would be glorious if neighbors were neighborly and prejudice a forgotten word. It would be awesome if we shared everything and being greedy was absurd. It would be spectacular if the golden rule was golden to every man and the good things that we ever did was everything that we can. Uh, and they, they end the commercial by saying that uh, treating others as we'd like to be treated has always been our guiding principle. Uh, and, and the commercial is actually quite ironic because uh, they take the, the, the words from a poem uh, by Joe Flatch uh, entitled Human Beings Being Human, and they don't give any credit to the actual poet. So they plagiarize the poem in saying they want to treat others as they want to be treated. Uh, so there's, there's some irony there, but I think this, this commercial hits, hits on a, a thread that everybody feels, everybody in society. Uh, of, we, we realize that society is not as it should be, uh, that there's something wrong, and uh, it always raises a question of how should we treat, how should we interact with other people? Uh, and if you were to, uh, to ask uh, everybody in America how should we how should we interact with and treat others? You, you would get a variety of answer, answers, but they would probably have one common thread that you could summarize and that we know that we are to love one another, that we are to love each other. And, and the poem uh, in the commercial describes this utopian society without sin uh, where everybody loves their neighbor perfectly. Uh, and what a great society that would be. Amen? Uh, but that society is not going to come about until Christ returns. Uh, and until Christ returns, the church uh, awaits uh, his coming, and we should be a society, that, uh, a group of people, a body of believers who fulfill that poem. That is what uh, life in the church should look like. That's how we should be interacting with one another. Uh, and when the church is, is loving one another as we should, we are a, we are a powerful witness in our community, Right? Uh, but when, when there is infighting and factions and bickering within the church, I don't think there's anything more ugly to the surrounding community. Am I right? What's people's number one reason for not coming to church? Hypocrites. The church is full of sinners. And to that we can say amen. Uh, but the reality is we, we are sinners in need of grace. 
Uh, and uh, we need to heed what Paul is going to say this morning, that, that our love for one another is going to mark us out as Christians. Uh, Titus uh, 2.7, where Paul is writing to, uh, to a young pastor on the island of Crete, and he's, he's going to draw a connection that if you're going to effectively reach out to others, if you're going to be able to witness to others in a powerful way, you as a church have to be uh, people above reproach, where the outside world isn't going to be able to tear you down in any way. Titus 2, verses 7 and 8 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that you cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And that is what the church is called to be, a living, breathing illustration of the love of God. That is what we are called to, to be as believers and as a united church body. And that is why, why Paul, as he writes to Colossians, this little church that he's never visited, a thousand miles away, that's why he's going to, to speak with them and instruct them concerning who they are now in Christ and how they need to put on love. Now, when we were here last in Colossians, uh, we were looking at uh, verse 12, and let's, let's begin reading there. Paul is, he, he's, he's explained already what they need to put off in the paragraph that begins in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. They're to, to put off the old man, and then verse 12 begins with what they, are to, what they are to put on. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, see, as Paul is writing this, he's saying, hey, there's, there's a singular virtue that's greater than all of the, the previous vir- virtues of, of verse 12. Verse 14 is the capstone of all of these things put on love. And so what does it really look like to love one another? What does that, uh, that, that look like in our, in our day-to-day lives? And what is Paul going to encourage the Colossians to do regarding love? And that's what we're going to see in verse 14 today. We're going to see three essentials about love that we have to understand and faithfully uh, obey if we're going to follow Jesus. If the world is going to identify us and say, hey, look, that guy follows Christ. He's a disciple. Uh, she's, a, she's a follower, a believer of Christ. If, if we're going to be marked out in that way, then we have to put on love. So we're going to look at verse 14, but I think before we, we dive into this concept of love, it's helpful just to define what we're talking about, right? Because there's a lot of ideas about love in our world today. Uh, and the, the Bible's understanding and definition of love is very different from the world's understanding of love. Uh, the world usually uh, thinks of love as what? As uh, a feeling. They think of romantic love as that, that butterfly uh, feeling that you get uh, when, you, when you, you meet someone and there's that magic. But, but Scripture always points to love not as a feeling but as a conscious decision. Uh, it's a choice. It's a decision that we make. Uh, one, one systematic theology book says, says this about love. It says, love can be defined broadly as the conscious, sacrificial, and volitional, meaning that we choose to do it, volitional commitment to the welfare 
of another person in obedience to God's word. It is a, the conscious, sacrificial, and volitional commitment to the welfare of another person. It's not just magical feelings. Uh, it's a choice that we make, and it's a, it's a choice that's usually inconvenient to us. It, it's sacrificial. Uh, and we are to extend love to others regardless of that person's response. Biblical love gives expecting nothing in return. We, we are to extend love regardless of what one does or does not receive from the other person and regardless of what it costs us to extend that love. That, that is what biblical love looks like. And this commandment to love one another, uh, of all of there's like some 30 one another commands in the New Testament. Uh, and do you know which one is repeated the most often? This one, to, to love one another. So when something's repeated over and over again, it's something that we should really get and understand, right? Uh, parents, when you want to get something across to your, to your children, what do you have to do? You repeat it over and over again. Uh, and, and that's what we see in the New Testament. And uh, it's not just something that's, that's given in the New Testament, but this kind of love, biblical, sacrificial, uh, volitional love, is something that we also see in the Old Testament. We're, well, I'm going to ask you to turn to, to some verses here in the Old Testament. I want you to turn with me to Leviticus 19. Uh, and these verses are going to be important. And if you, if you mark your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to, to mark these. And we're going, to, we're going to come back to these verses in our minds later on. So I want you to be able to see where they are on the page of your Bible. Leviticus 19, verse 18. It'll start off unfamiliar, but then it'll get familiar. Uh, read along with me. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. There's, there's what we're going to see as the second greatest command, uh, and it's buried in everyone's favorite Old Testament book, right? Leviticus. Uh, so from there, let's go over to to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, well, let's actually begin in verse 4. Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So you see, love... Love encompasses the two greatest commandments that are given in the Old Testament. Now, these are the two commandments identified in Matthew 22. Uh, you, can, you don't have to turn there, but you can listen. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he, speaking of Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so from, from Deuteronomy, I want you to turn over to Matthew. We're going to look somewhere else in Matthew now. But, but what, what Jesus says is that in these two commandments... To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, you have just summarized the entire Old Testament law. If you, if you obey those two things, you have kept the law as it has been recorded in the Old Testament. And 
This, this famous passage of the golden rule, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This is what is alluded to in that commercial uh, from Marriott. Uh, and, and oftentimes people, people love this part of the Bible. It's everyone's favorite verse, uh, every non-believer. Uh, or it's Matthew 7, 1 of judge not, lest ye be judged. Uh, that's also a popular one. But uh, verse 12 in Matthew 7, look with me. It says, Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So here he's made two statements about what encapsulates the entire law and all of the prophets. And one is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And one is, you shall uh, do whatever you wish that others would do to you. So, so really what this is, is it is an explanation of what it looks like to love your neighbor. And if you're truly going to love your neighbor, you're not going to do anything to them that you wouldn't want them to do to you. Uh, and and that's going to be going to be key. This this golden rule, uh, and then building upon what Jesus has taught in the Gospels, Paul is going to command to the Colossians. And that's amazing to see that connection. To see that what is commanded in the letters to the churches is really echoing what Jesus taught in his earthly ministry. So let's let's turn back over to to Colossians. And with that background, with that understanding of what love looks like, that it's a, it's a choice, it, it is a decision that we make, uh, a commitment to the welfare of another person. It's not just the, the butterfly, butterfly feelings in our hearts, but it is something that we have to decide to do day in and day out. Uh, and now let's, let's look at these three essentials that Paul gives to us in this verse. Uh, and essential number one is the priority that love deserves. He begins verse 14 by saying, and above all these, put on love. Uh, see, uh, that, that statement of above, above all these is kind of a, a difficult one to understand because in the Greek, it's a, there's a preposition that it literally just means on. So it could be, hey, on top of all of these things that were mentioned in verse 12, uh, so kind of... Uh, these layers of clothing that he's talked about, uh, on top of all of those, put this on. Or it could be uh, in addition to, or it could mean uh, a supremacy. Or in, and that's how the ESV translates it, as above all these things, as a priority. And, and I think the ESV is correct in, in translating it that way because here, here's something that, that's really interesting. Of, of all of the, the virtues that are mentioned in this paragraph. So in verse 12, we have five and then... Uh, in verse 13 of forgiving each other and bearing with one another. And then when it comes to verse 14, he says, above all these, put on love. It's really above all these or upon these, the love. Uh, he uses uh, the, the, the definite article, he uses the word the uh, to speak of love, where he doesn't use that for any of the other virtues. He says, hey, yeah, put, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, uh, humility, meekness, and patience, and then put on the love. Uh, there's a, a specificity to it, uh, and one pastor uh, has said this, it is the love above all loves that is in view. The love extended to us by God through the incarnate Christ and now extended through us to others by the indwelling Christ. Uh, the love that we have received from God, now we are called to love others with. Uh, and, and love is the greatest virtue that we are called to in Scripture, as I said, it, it's the, uh, the to love one another is the most frequently given one another command in the New Testament, 
Uh, and uh, let's turn over. I know we're doing a lot of bouncing around, but turn with me to another very famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13. And if you needed to be humbled this morning, uh, we just, we'll just read along this. If, if you think you've, you've loved other people uh, successfully, uh, all you need to do is, is read this passage, and it's a little uh, needle to the, the balloon of your pride. When uh, in one of my seminary classes, uh, my wife and I, uh, it's called the pastor's home, and we, we sat in there together, and there were certain assignments that she got to evaluate me uh, in. And one of them was for her to sit down and, and look at all of these qualifications uh, and, and grade me from 1 to 10 on how I fulfill all of these uh, characteristics of love. It was very humbling. Uh, but, uh, but look with me, beginning in, in verse 1 of chapter 13. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clang, clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So, so what is it that's most important in those first three verses? What does Paul want us to understand? That love is what is most important. Then he describes love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That, that is how the Apostle Paul describes love. Love is the primary virtue that we are to put on in, in listing off the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first fruit? Love. Uh, in, in Romans 13, uh, verses 8 through 10, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So that's a common theme here. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then in 1 Peter 4.8, Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And we should all make, make note that while we are called to love those outside of the church, we are called to, to love our neighbors, we are even called to love our enemies. What the primary focus of this passage is, is love for one another within the context of the local church. That as uh, we look at God's people, we should see love first and foremost. Uh, and uh, as, I, as I mentioned 
earlier of this, what's really being spoken of here as we turn back to Colossians. I know you're, we're, we're scattered throughout our Bibles. But back in Colossians, the, the command that's being issued here in verse 12 uh, to, to put on is literally clothe yourself with. The idea of putting on clothing, that's the picture that Paul is, is using. And, and that's the, the same word that is, is in verse 14. It's actually not in, in the Greek, but it's just implied of hate. So all of these were to put on love. Uh, and uh, and I think we can can picture in our minds what what Paul is the picture that he's painting here, especially in our cold Idaho winter, right? As you guys got ready this morning, uh, although it was in the 40s yesterday, it's almost it's almost time to break out the shorts. Uh, but in these cold Idaho winters, when you get ready in the morning, what do you do? You layer on your clothes, right? Uh, and, and you may have put on, you know, a, a shirt and then, like, like me, a sweater, because when you don't have hair, you get really cold. Uh, a sweater and then, you know, maybe an outer jacket uh, as, you, as you're going out uh, into the, the cold morning. Uh, and that, that, that top coat that you put on, that, that winter jacket that everybody is going to, what's the first thing that they see when you walk in the door? They, they don't see your, your shirt or the microphone that you bump. Uh, they see your, your outer jacket, your outer garment. What Paul is saying is that outer garment, the, uh, the, the top coat that you have and that you are wearing all the time should be love. That is what, uh, that's what he is saying here. When people see you, the first thing that they should see and notice as you go about your business that day is the love of Christ in you when they, uh, you can begin to kind of identify people by their winter jackets as they're wearing it all winter. And, and love should be our jacket that we are identified with as Christians. People should immediately look at us and know who and what we are, who we are following. But, but at times we are, we're tempted not to wear this Christian top coat. Right? We, are, we are tempted to uh, not to clothe ourselves, not to put on our, our jacket of Christian love because sometimes Christian love comes into conflict with the world's understanding of love. Uh, see, our world thinks of love as a matter of utmost importance, and we have to agree with them on that. Amen. But, but they've redefined love to mean approval uh, and acceptance. Uh, and the idea of if you don't uh, approve of, of me and what, or something that I do or something that I believe, that, that you're being unloving. But, but uh, what, did, what did we read in 1 Corinthians 13? Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Uh, love rejoices in truth. Uh, and so we have to, to see and understand uh, the, the priority of love and, again, the biblical understanding and definition of love. It's not uh, just approving and blindly accepting somebody or everybody for no matter what they believe, but it's, it's rejoicing in the truth. It's loving somebody according to uh, our love for God. And, and we, if we can also return in our minds to, to those first two commandments, uh, the two greatest commandments are what? You shall love the Lord your God, uh, and you shall love the neighbor as yourself. Now, now, what happens if we invert those commandments? If we say it's most important that I love my neighbor, what have we just done? Yeah, what, what have we left out? We've, we've lowered somebody and we've exalted somebody. Right? We've, we've lowered God from his uh, place of uh, superiority and supremacy. 
And we have elevated our neighbors such that we have to love our neighbor and make them feel loved instead of loving and obeying God. But we, we have to understand the object of our love and the order of our love. That we are first and foremost to love God and obey God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and oftentimes... <clears throat> Uh, love will, will speak out uh, and warn somebody. Uh, love will, will, will speak to somebody in danger. I have a, a, a good friend of mine who, who will always say, a true friend will tell you when you have something in your teeth. <laughs> they, they, will, they, they won't just let you sit there and then be embarrassed later to find out, uh, I've had something in my teeth this whole time. Uh, a true friend will let you know uh, that there is something in your teeth. And a true friend will let you know when there is sin in your life. A true friend will, will warn you of impending danger. A true friend will, will warn you or express concern when, when they see something in your marriage or something in your parenting or something in your personal life that is putting you or separating you from another individual or separating you from a holy God. That is what love does, but that's not a popular understanding of love in our culture today. And we have to understand also uh, what the love of God looks like and what it looks like to truly love God first and foremost. Because as I understand how the God who created me and loves me, giving me life and breath and everything, as I understand that the loving God who has given me everything sent his son to save me, that the sacrificial love of the son to die on my behalf, when I begin to understand the love of God that has been extended to me through Jesus his son, then and only then will I really understand what it looks like to love others sacrificially, right? How can I love somebody sacrificially if I don't really understand what that looks like? And if I want to understand what sacrificial love looks like, who should I look to? Christ. Because he came and died for sinners. He came and died for those who were separated from him because we have rebelled. That's what sin is. So, so what do we take away from this? Well, we must rightly understand the priority of love in the Christian life. That we are to love others, but our love for others should be subservient to our love and obedience to God. We also have to absolutely be convinced that to rightly love our neighbor, we have to know and love God. Now, our, our thinking needs to change. Uh, you need to begin to think about how you can love and serve others. But when we really, if we were to take inventory of our thoughts, uh, how often do we spend any time thinking about how we can love and serve others? We really don't put that into our minds that often, but we need to. Uh, and we need to look for opportunities to serve even when it's not convenient, even when it doesn't fit into our schedule. Uh, because again, love is sacrificial. I'm going to love others no matter what it costs. And then... I have to make loving others a priority. I need to begin to value it in my heart and then to begin to act upon it. And I need to begin to look for ways to love others. And what should we be on the lookout for? Well, look back at Colossians 3.12. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. How can, how can you be compassionate this week? What are ways that you can, uh, as you see others in need, go and meet those needs? How can you demonstrate love to 
others. See, love for others is a priority in the Christian life, but it is a priority that, that's secondary to our love for God, and it's a priority that must be directed by our love and obedience to God, and that is the first essential. That is what we have to understand. And the second essential that Paul lays out here is the, the identity that love reveals. Uh, he just, kind of that same reality, of, above all of these, put on love. And if we can ask a question of just why love? Why does he say, above all these, put on love? What is it that makes love the priority? Well, John uh, 13, verses 34 and 35. John uh, records Jesus' last night with his disciples, uh, the upper room. Uh, Jesus has just gotten done humbling himself and, and washing the feet of the disciples, including the feet of the, the man who was going to betray him, Judas Iscariot. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What Jesus is saying there is that the world will identify us. By what? by how we interact with one another. And when the world sees us loving one another, when the world sees us compassionately caring for one another, what will they say? What conclusion should they come to? That we are followers of Jesus. If you, if you turn over with me to the letter to, to of 1 John, so turning from the Gospel of John to, to the first epistle of John, uh, John doesn't mince any words in, in this letter. You could say that uh, 1 John divides the saints from the ain'ts. Uh, it, it shows us what, uh, what a true believer will do uh, and what a true believer looks like. And we're going to look at just a couple, couple verses here, beginning in chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Listen to what, what John writes. He says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still... In darkness, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In chapter 3, verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John is in no way saying that we earn our salvation, but that if you, are, if you have been transformed by God, if God has made your heart new, the natural result, the natural fruit of that transformation is going to be that you love others. Look at verses 16 through 19, also in 1 John 3. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him 
You know, what, what John is saying there is, again, if we are truly compassionate and loving toward our neighbor, we know that we have been transformed. But if, if, we, if we can look at others in need and not have compassion upon them, what is he saying? That there's reason to be concerned. Uh, there, there's strong words spoken of here. And, uh, and it gives us a reason to examine our hearts, to reason to, to examine our lives and say, am I compassionate? Do I have love for others or am I cold toward them? Uh, uh, another pastor has said, therefore, those who are cold, uncaring and indifferent toward other believers betray a self-centeredness that is indicative of unbelief. But those who delight in the fellowship of their brothers and sisters in Christ and eagerly desire to meet the needs of the saints can be assured that they are of, of the truth. And uh, let's return to that, that picture that I, that I pointed to uh, earlier about Christian love being the top coat uh, of our wardrobe. Uh, it's it's the, jack, the jacket, the, the garment that we should have on top of, of everything else. And it's the jacket that should reveal our identity uh, and when somebody comes into our church, what, what, should it, what should we look like to them? We should all be wearing what? The same jacket, right? We should all be wearing the, the same outer garment, the same winter coat of love, and that should mark us out as followers of Christ. In, in the Civil War, uh, all of the soldiers of the Union, the, the North, uh, they all wore blue, uh, and the uh, the South, the Confederacy, all wore gray uniforms. And so it's really easy on the battlefield to, to mark out who's who and what side, you're, what side that you're on, right? Because of what you are wearing. Uh, and as soldiers of Christ who are under his lordship, uh, we are to be wearing the coat of love. Uh, and as First John makes clear, if we're if we're not wearing that coat, if we're wearing some other type of coat, but we're trying to to say, hey, I'm I'm in the Lord's army, uh, contrary to whatever song that you sang in church growing up, uh, you may not be a part of God's people. Uh, and that reality of, of assessing what jacket am I wearing when people look at my life, what do they see? Uh, we have to assess that. So if if you were brought into a court of law this week uh, and charges were brought up against you of being a Christian, what evidences of love would be brought forward to, to prosecute you? Right? Would it be easy for the prosecution to, to find evidences of love in your life? They could easily point, look, uh, this person has cared for you know, all of these people uh, in their church. They, they've had compassion and done acts of kindness. Would it be easy for them to, to find evidence of that love, or would it be difficult? Or would they really have to, to dig and search and, uh, and, and look for some evidence of love in your life? Or would it be nearly impossible for them to, to find any evidence of love in your life? Because it may not be there. If, if you were taken to a court of law and charged with being a Christian, would you be found guilty? Is there evidence to show that? And some of you may be thinking, I, well, well, I want to love others and I want to, to serve others, but I don't, I don't know who I can help or how I can help them. Uh, and to that, I would say, yeah, when, when we're here gathered together on Sunday mornings, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of the one another commands that we can't obey, right? 
difficult for you guys to do the one another's when I'm the only one talking. Uh, but the reality is that's why we have, throughout the week, small groups. Uh, we, we call them growth groups here. Uh, and the, the goal of our growth groups is to grow. Uh, and the goal of those groups is to provide community. The, the, the goal of our growth groups is to be where the one another's take place. Uh, that's where we have the opportunities to love one another because that's where the, we will have opportunities to hear who's in need, uh, who, whose family is sick and in need of a meal, who's, who's lost a loved one and is grieving, uh, who's going through a difficult trial, who's, who's going through something where they need the support and love and care and concern of the church. And you can come on Sunday mornings and you can hide. You can, you can come, you can walk out uh, quickly afterwards and not be known, but our small groups are where you come to know and be known. Uh, our growth groups is where you come to, to love others and be loved by others. Uh, and that is where, that, those are the front lines of our ministry. And, and many churches have the idea that the, the pastor is the one who, who does all of the ministry, uh, that he's the one who's supposed to be doing all of this. But if you notice uh, in the text, uh, who is Paul writing to? Is he writing to the pastor of the church at Colossae? Is he writing to the elders of the church at Colossae? No, he's writing to the whole church. And what is he telling them? That they should all love one another. Whose responsibility is it to love all of the other people in the church? Everyone. So it's not, it's not one pastor uh, ministering to 75 people. What Paul is is proposing here is 75 people ministering to 75 people or whatever the size of the congregation. That is what Paul is saying here. That is our responsibility as a church to be loving one another, for everybody to be involved. And our growth groups are the means of ministering to one another here at Ambassador. And I would strongly encourage you to visit a group if you're not already a part of one. Our groups are going to, to resume, not this week, but the following week, the week of June, or January 8th. Uh, and if you, if you want to get plugged into one of those, come and talk with me afterwards. I would love to, to show, show you where and when they meet. Uh, and we'll have more information on that later. But that's where you will be able to love others and be loved by others. Uh, and that's what we need to uh, to do. If, if we're going to fulfill this command, you have to put yourself in a position to fulfill it. And that's why our growth groups are so important. Uh, and that's why the, the identity that love reveals, if you are loving others, you are identified as a follower of Christ. Uh, we need to, to understand that as an essential and we need to obey it. Uh, and that, that's the second essential. The, the third essential that we will see from this passage this morning is the unity that love produces. If you look at the end of uh, that verse in Colossians, if you, if you turn back there, Colossians 3.14 ends, it says, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, Paul finishes the verse by stating that love is that perfect bond, that, that bond of perfection. That is what love produces. Uh, and if you look in, in Colossians 2.19, that same word for, for bond is used. It's the idea of fastening two things together. Uh, and in Colossians 2.19, uh, which reads, And not holding fast to the head, speaking of these false teachers, they weren't holding fast to Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together 
through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And that word for ligaments is the same word that's used uh, in Colossians 3.14. And what do ligaments do in your body? They hold together your bones. They hold together your, your joints and keep those bones so that you're able to, to move back and forth. Uh, they tie two things together, and that is what love does in the church. One pastor said this, he says that love is the most important moral quality in the believer's life, for it is the very glue that produces unity in the church. Believers will never enjoy mutual fellowship through compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. They will not bear with each other or forgive each other unless they love one another. So you're not going to fulfill any of the the commands and instructions in verse 12, you're never going to be able to put on any of those things if you are not loving others first. And when love exists in a church, there won't be divisions, there won't be factions, there won't be uh, cliques of people that are unwelcoming. Uh, when, when love reigns in a church, the gospel will be put on display for, for everybody to see. Uh, and sinners who, who disagree uh, with the gospel uh, in and of itself will, will find the love that we share attractive. And that's what Titus talks about. Is even though the gospel is a foolish message, we can adorn the doctrine of God and make it attractive to those outside of the church. Uh, and and when, when there, you have love in your heart for others in the church, that's what, again, holds the church together. When I was, when I was in college, I was a baby believer. I had been saved about six months, and then I went out to New Mexico in the middle of nowhere, for a kid growing up in Southern California, which is one big city, to move to a town of about 12,000 people where the closest airport is you know, two and a half hours away. It was a little bit of a culture shock. Uh, and so I started attending this, this, this really small church, a country church, uh, and it was a, a fundamental Baptist church, a church that believed uh, that the King James version of the Bible was the only authoritative version of the Bible. It, uh, the church believed that... Uh, that baptism, to, to be a, saved and to, specifically to be a member of that church, you had to be baptized in a King James-only believing church. Uh, and so as a, as a baby believer, I'm getting all of this information and kind of taking it in. I'm like, okay, so I'll, I'll do this. And uh, as I began to grow in my faith, I began to, to disagree with some of the things that were being taught in the church and realizing, oh, uh, some of these things, I had an awakening, so to speak, an eye-opening uh, but, but the reality was I continued to go to that church. Do you know why? Because the pastor and the people there loved me. And I said, how did, how, did, how did they love me? Well, as a college student, there's certain things that you need, like food, right? Uh, and, and the people there would, would invite me to, to lunch after church on Sunday. It was a lot better than the food at the calf. Uh, I, I would be able to go and do laundry, another necessity of college students. Some of them are more successful at doing laundry than others. Uh, but, but I would go and, and have lunch with the pastor and do laundry at his house, and he would just, just walk me through Scripture, and I learned a lot. And so even though I began to see areas where I disagreed with them on certain things, I still stayed at that church for the two years I was there because I loved the people and they loved me. See, love is the, the relational glue that holds the body of Christ together. Uh, that is what Paul is, is saying here, uh, and that is why love is so foundational to our fellowship as a church. And, and we have to, to ask ourselves, as, as we look at 
this command of Scripture, when we come to any command of Scripture, it's always helpful to ask, well, how am I doing at that? To, to assess ourselves. And so we have to ask, how am I doing? How are you doing at extending love to others in the church, here in our fellowship? Do you know people here? Uh, have you made an effort to get to know people? And you, you'll never truly love people that you don't, you don't know. If you're not going to take the time to get to know them, you're probably never going to take the time to, to love them. Uh, other, other questions to assess of how do you speak about people as you drive home from church? Do you, do you grumble and complain? Do you critique the service and the people? And I would just point you back to 1 Corinthians 13. To, to assess whether or not you should be doing that. But how, do you, how can you begin to, to demonstrate love to others here at Ambassador? I would encourage you to begin to think, that, think through that, and I would say your first step is probably to join a growth group, which we'll have more information on early or later. Uh, so as we've seen this morning, the three essentials of Christian love that Paul lays out in this verse, of the priority that love deserves, the identity that love reveals, and the unity that love produces. Uh, love within the church is the perfect binding agent. It, it's what is to bind us together as a church. Uh, and it takes this group of individuals and unites them together. Uh, makes many into one. Uh, and in the 1800s, uh, Dwight L. Moody led a Sunday school for children. There was a, a little child in his class whose family moved away uh, and to another part of the city. Uh, And the little boy kept coming, even though it meant that he would have to walk five miles each direction. And on that that five-mile walk every Sunday, he he passed about 40 other churches that had Sunday schools. Uh, And and one time as he's he's walking, uh, somebody asked, well, why do you walk so far and pass so many other churches that have Sunday schools? Uh, He says, because they love a fellow over there. See, he... He felt loved at that church, so he was committed to that church. Now, he felt loved by the people there and was committed to, to going there. And that's what love does. It unites us together. Uh, and, and my hope and my prayer is that here at Ambassador, we would, we would demonstrate that kind of love to others. It's easy to come away from, from a message like this and critique everybody else in their love, Right? To say, well, I don't feel loved, or I don't, I don't receive that from others. But is that really what we should be assessing? Or are you in charge of other people's obedience to this, or your own obedience to this? Yours. Uh, what you need to take away from this is not how everybody else can love you better, but how you can go and begin to love others better. How, what actions are you going to take? And my hope is that we would grow in love and unity for, with one another and be able to demonstrate to a watching world around us this type of love, so that when people come and visit, they understand that we are all followed, followers of Christ and united in our love for him and our love for one another. Let's pray together to that end. Oh. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, first and foremost, praising you, thanking you, for the love that you have shown to us. Lord, we are all sinners who have rebelled against you. We are those who have removed you from your throne and tried to seat ourselves there. 
Lord, I pray that we would see that, that we would repent of that, that we would put you in your proper place and that we would begin to love you and worship you for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your sacrificial love on our behalf. We thank you for uh, the conscious decision that you make each and every day to love us, even though we continue to rebel against you. And Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts that you would stir our affections, that you would transform our desires so that we grow in our love for one another. So that we understand and are willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ in this area of love. Lord, I pray that you would knit our hearts together as a church, that you would help us to, to grow the bonds that unite us in love, Lord, I pray that you would take uh, the many people of this church and unite us in love for Christ and one another so that we might be a powerful witness, that we might put the gospel on display here in the Treasure Valley and so glorify you so that others see us and praise you for who you are and what you have done. Lord, I just, I thank you for your love. And I ask that you would help us to grow in obedience in loving others. We pray this in Jesus' name.